0: Following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. As was mentioned, it's a new series uh, today, but it aligns very well with what just Artie was sharing there. There's that sense that at different times You hit these seasons where difficulty seems to come, and it seems that your life plans or how you measure your life seems to, in a sense, run aground a little bit. But when we look back in history, when we look at Scripture, when we see how God has moved in the past, even in the lives of people around us, we see that sometimes out of those moments of difficulty, that something then is birthed. God does not cause those moments, but Romans says that he uses them for good. And out of those moments of what seems like a pressing or a pressure, new wine is birthed. And it's really interesting because increasingly we find ourselves today in a new mindset where we actually move away from anything difficult. You just listen to the language that we use to describe environments now in a culture like Australia where we're increasingly becoming risk averse there's an element where that's good I'm glad we're probably in a building which is lived up to the Australian building code we hope that limits risk and people being hurt but that language without a firm boundary then flows into other things where all of a sudden we talk about feeling safe in environments and there's an element where that's absolutely true but also what that can mean when it goes too far, as so often anything good has the tendency to do when it's not brought under the Lordship of God, is that then we've lived this life where we believe that humans flourish when they face no difficulty, pain, or hardship. But actually, Scripture has a very different view, a very different model of how the world works, that, in fact... Out of those moments of pressing, new wine comes. So this series is a continuation of really what's happening in our church at the moment with so many people that there is this pressing into something. And then in that pressing in, God wants to renew and wants to do something new. So this series is called New Wine, Contending for Renewal. I'm going to pray to beginners. Father, thank you for what you were doing. Thank you that at this moment in history, in this time and place, you are asking us to step deeper into you. We acknowledge that the whole of history is marked by your coming into this world. We divide history into B.C. and A.D. Everything is divided around you. You are the central organizing fact of this world, Father. You came, you incarnated into the world, and you spoke of a way of living that would bring new wine to the world. So, Father, in this series, as we begin, may we step into that. May your work of renewal continue. May your spirit now begin to move in our hearts, open our hearts, drop our blockages, help us to hear, not just with our heads, but with our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen. In John fifteen five. Jesus boils down one of the absolute key essences of what it is to follow him. He talks about the spiritual life almost like a system, where a system, you have an input and an output, you plug yourself into a source of energy, and in this example, he uses something from the natural world, from farming, and particularly from winemaking. He says this, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying here that the absolute key, when you boil it all down to living a spiritual and earthly life which flourishes, is actually to remain in him. This is not just to have information about Him. This is not just to say, hey, yep, I'm a Christian. This is not just simply to mark that on some card somewhere. This is about a living relationship where you're remaining in Him and Him in you. And this is the key to a life where you bear fruit. Not just in the sense of of what we may think about, and we'll get to that in a second in terms of earthly fruit, but actually it goes as far to say is, Apart from this reality, you can do nothing. This is a central verse if you want to live a life that's in renewal. And this verse contrasts, really. We read this, we like it, but the lived practicality, the way that we're formed, the way that we're shaped, looks more something like, hey, oh, looks something like this that we want to live a life of contentment. There is our classic Australian tin water tank. And we want that tank to be filled so we have a sense of overflowing. When people describe a life that's going well, they say, my life is overflowing. And so we think, okay, how do we be more content? And you could swap words in there. Happiness, how do we more feel a sense of joy? How do we feel a sense of pleasure? And so we have to then input. Something has to flow in To fill it, the primary way that that is done today and across most of the world is through consuming. We are told that if we purchase particular things, if we own them, if we purchase particular experiences, the way to contentment, the way to filling of the tank of human flourishing is to consume more things. And 21st Century Melbourne provides you with an absolute smorgasbord of things which you can consume food, coffee, experiences, products, gadgets, endless things you are told that your life is not happy until you get the next one. And these change when you're a kid, like, honestly. I mean, this is how simple this is. Kohl's is currently absolutely, and parents already know where I'm going with this, if you've got kids of the right age, coles is absolutely kicking Safeways, butt at the moment, because they brought, I mean, it's so simple and ridiculous, but it works. They decided to make little plastic replicas of some of their main selling products. Surely this would not work. Surely we're not that stupid. And these little products where it's like, you know, instead of, I don't know, the big harpic, the little cute harpic. Oh, can you use it? No. And the entire reason they did this is so that kids will pester their parents. I studied advertising. This is what you call pester power. If a parent's willpower is too strong to go, I'm not gonna buy a stupid little plastic replica, I'm not gonna spend $60 at, at, at Kohl's so that I then have to get a little replica of a Harpic bottle, right? So the parents' willpower is up here. but parents' willpower steadily gets worn down over hours, days, months of kids. Can we get that? Can we get that? Are you going to Coles? Don't go to Safeway. Are you going to Coles? This goes on and on. And so currently Coles is actually beating Safeway because they introduced this thing. You spend $60, you get a little plastic thing, And there was actually an article in the paper that they did a swap day and at some coal stores security had to step in because parents were fighting over little plastic replicas of products that they already own okay so we're told that you have a happy life when you're consuming the other side is that we're told we have a happy life when we're actually achieving not only do we consume we find meaning when we achieve when You have the meaningful career when you build that thing, when you hit that fitness goal. So, life is this balance between consuming and achieving. But this is a very different system to what we see in Scripture. In Psalm 1, it speaks of a person. Who is connected to God is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And we see another version of a system here. The input is God's way and God's word. We see this connection to God's presence. This tree is not fed by simply rainfall. This tree is actually fed by his presence being close like a river. This is a tree where it never has to worry about the vagaries of rainfall. The river is constantly there. And what this produces then is actually fruit. Now, this is not fruit which looks like earthly prosperity, this is fruit which lasts. This is kingdom fruit. Now, we run into a problem when we then come to church and we bring to church this model. We bring this model to church and we forget this model, even though we may see this as something which looks appealing, we bring this model to church and so much of church then has to live under the burden and not just church but living out of the Christian life because we're so formed by this model we come to church and we see faith as the consumption of religious goods and services. And so we pick a church. We pick a stream of Christianity. We pick particular preachers to listen to or books to read which we can then fill into our tank, which give us things. And this is one of the biggest blockages to renewal in our day. And the scariest thing about it is we don't always know when it's happening. When you're doing a straight-up sinful blockage, you know it. But the insidious thing about when this framework is overlaid to Christianity is we don't notice it. This is a long quote, but it's a really important one. And this is a frightening quote that Richard Lovelace wrote in 1979, which is even truer today. And I'm going to read it. He talks about a kind of vicious cycle. He says this, pastors gradually settle down and lose interest in being change agents in the church. An unconscious conspiracy arises between their flesh and that of the congregations, their congregations. It becomes tacitly understood that the laity, that's the people in the church, the congregation, will give pastors places of special honour in the exercise of their gifts if the pastors will agree to leave their congregations' pre-Christians lifestyles undisturbed and do not call on the mobilisation of lay gifts for the work of the kingdom. Oh, Stop it, rigid lovelace. You're killing us. Pastors are permitted to become ministerial superstars, giving good sermons. Don't they care? They smile. I feel wonderful around them. Their pride is fed and their insecurity is pacified, even if they are run ragged and their congregation are permitted to remain herds of sheep in which each has cheerfully turned to his own way. I'm scared right now. I don't feel safe. This is a codependent cycle. This is a weird reality that if a pastor, if everyone loves them in their church and everyone thinks they're fantastic and nice, you have to do a check. Am I actually fulfilling my role? And this system is insidious because it can have a failure of success. Because more people come, more people look to the front, the pastor starts to feel good about themselves. But what's happening is, is that actually people are not growing, the kingdom is not advancing, renewal is not occurring. And the enemy loves this cycle. And he'll feed on the insecurity in the congregation. He'll feed on the insecurity in the pastor. And that's satiated. Not by obvious sins, but by this sense of just staying in the safe place. Ignoring the crushing. Ignoring the pressing. Producing new wine. And so... When it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom fruit that we produce, the fruit we produce is for the kingdom of God. The role of the Christian is to contribute to this new era in human life that Jesus announced at the beginning of his ministry when he preached and read from the Torah scroll and read from Isaiah in the synagogue and said the kingdom of God is here. But instead of contributing to that with fruit, we simply take from that. We see the kingdom of God as some vast reservoir to suit our consumer needs and to provide religious goods and services to us. And so, what this series is essence about is moving from a posture of consuming to one of contending. Contending is stretching, contending is fighting for something, contending is wanting something and grabbing it by the scruff of its neck. It's actually a proactive, positive posture. I should have written that with three Ps on a slide. It's actually something which is a change of posture that will radically transform how you approach faith. And so I wanted to just talk about five ways to do this. The first one is that contending is returning to priest mode. I put it in a hashtag there, let's turn priest mode. A couple of people got that, that's good. And what it is, is this return to a vision of the Christian life, which we see in Jesus' ministry, which we see then in the book of Acts, which we see through the New Testament, where no longer are the people of God serviced by the Levites, a small select group of priests who are the ones who do the religious function in the world, what happens in the New Testament is that all the people of God become priests. <coughs> First Peter says this, 2, five: You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No longer is there a specific super priest who does this. Everyone is invited into this. And when you look and read the literature of when the people of God have come alive, when the people of God have moved throughout history, when God's fingerprint is felt at a particular time and place, when the church grows, when people's spiritual lives grow, when renewal happens, when revival breaks out, it is always, it looks different in different places, different languages, different cultures, different countries. But what always happens is the laity are released into their gifts. Now we hear that, and we think, okay, so do they get more voting power in a members' meeting? Not necessarily. This is rather people released into an active form of ministry, where as John Wimber would say, they are doing the stuff. But well, the stuff doesn't just happen from a couple of key people, but people are released from this posture of consuming to one of contributing to what God is doing, partnering with Him. And so the priest, then, which is everyone, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are a living priest, part of His priesthood. At this time in history, you were serving the kingdom of God. Now, what the enemy wants to do right now is put a little little tick in your head, and what he wants to do is actually say, okay, so I've got to do more. Oh, Mark is saying, I've got to do more. I am tired. I am working. I'm already doing stuff at the church. I'm trying to collect all those Coles mini collectibles. <laughs> so the enemy, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take any awakening that God does, and he wants to, he wants to keep you quiet at the beginning. Shh don't wake the Christians, but then anytime any God says to do any kind of renewal, He then wants to throw that into an extreme of heresy or religiosity. So this is not about just doing more stuff. This is about what we see in John 15. That people who do things, do them, do kingdom fruit, do it because they're in this state of being in relationship with Christ. This is this symbiotic relationship, that you can only do things because of a sense of being. This is not being run ragged. This can even happen in a season of rest. But even a season of rest, we've like got to said pull right back, is still going to produce spiritual fruit. Dallas Willard says this, life in the kingdom of God is not something we do like investing in the stock market or learning Spanish that allows us to reserve dominion or control over our own life and use the kingdom for our own purposes. I I have to pause there because there's this sense where when I seriously look at my life, I have to come to the conclusion that at certain times... I have used the kingdom or expected of the kingdom that it's going to work for my purposes. I've measured it with my metrics. I've looked at it through my human eyes. Willard's saying something different. He says, we have to surrender the innermost reality of the self to God as expressed in Jesus and his kingdom. Not more doing, more being. Those deepest parts of you, being in communion with God. Then we become the kind of people who have been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally, and I left out the word flow, naturally flow from their character. So this is a different form of doing. This is a form of doing where it actually says, like you don't even realize you're doing it. If you read on in that passage in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says, literally when people who are in that state of being and remaining with the Father, they're doing the kingdom work and they don't even realize it. It simply flows out of them. It's like someone who had just won a gigantic amount of money or a brand new car in a competition. They don't go, oh now I've got to do the work of telling everyone. They're like, can you, I just, I just won this thing. This is insane. I'm texting everyone in a giant message. That does not feel like work. That is flowing out of them. So this is this kind of living, which is not exhausting. This comes from this place of rest, but also proactivity. This is the kingdom posture of contending. So contending, therefore, begins with personal renewal. And there's one thing Terry Walling over the last week reminded us really clearly that corporate renewal comes from personal renewal. And personal renewal is the taking of responsibility for one's own spiritual growth. And this is really key to differentiate, and we've said it before, I'm going to keep saying it. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. Salvation is an act of grace. It comes to us. We can't earn it. Christianity has clearly stated for 2,000 years that, that our salvation is not something that you earn. God gives it to you as a free gift. But when it comes to discipleship, apprenticing ourselves to Jesus, we have to make a decision to follow. There has to be a step of proactivity. We have to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. And so, when we look at our lives as a system and we see that Jesus used this language of connecting to the vine, when we see all throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in Psalm 1, that it's the inputs into our life that actually determine our character, that we can take proactivity in our discipleship by changing the input. One of the brave things you can do is to take an inventory of your inputs. One thing I did once, which was a deeply impacting exercise, was to simply to take out a week of 24 hours and to go back through the week and see how you spent every hour in that last 24. And then you mark, what did I do there which was contributing to the kingdom. Now, this is not then put you into this space where you're praying every single second of every moment. But if you look at the balance, what you do determines who you become. And all you have to do is change the inputs, these elements of investment, of spending time with God, connecting with people who, sharpen you as iron sharpens iron, making a priority be to be in spaces and to create habits which cultivate you, actually carve out space where the presence is there, where you're remaining in the vine. Some of you are going to go, there's actually stuff that you're going to need to cut out because the input is actually going to be one that's ultimately destructive. And someone 1 talks about the fact that Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That when we walk in lockstep, and he uses that term, walking in step, it's like marching together. It's a deliberate choice to align yourself to the inputs of the world that are destructive. So some of this is going to be cutting off inputs. Change the inputs and that will change you. And remember, too, that many of the things that we look for as the framework, we bring the framework of consumerism to church and then expect church to deliver us community. We expect the church to deliver us from the difficult things that we find inside of us. That those things do happen in church, but they're not the primary things. When they're sought as the primary things that actually everything becomes skewed. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. We face, as the church right now, one of the most difficult tasks that I think's ever faced the church. And the church has faced a lot. We face the fact that we are meant to model a kind of fellowship and human connection that the coming kingdom is going to show. In a world of increasing disconnection in a world where loneliness is growing we are called to model something very different now in a sense this should be our greatest moment wow what an opportunity people are lonely pope benedict i think it was in like the 60s wrote this little paper where he said one day the church will again be filled with people because they become so lonely And there's a truth in that. But the church is filled with people. You and I are shaped by the forces that are driving this increased isolation, which is radical individualism. So we're tasked with being an alternate vision of human community, yet we are shaped by the exact same forces where we place our autonomy above community. That's a really tough one. And very few people in church around the world know what to do about that. So when we run straight for community without being renewed and remaining in Christ, we'll fail at that. What Jesus says, wait, what Jesus says was, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When you seek community or fellowship on your own merits probably what's going to happen is you're going to find a group of people who are exactly like you. The world pushes us through algorithms and Facebook set up in the back end to people who have the same interests as us. Some of the most interesting people that I'm friends with are actually not a whole lot like me. And I've actually become friends with them because we're working and walking towards the kingdom together. And when I stopped looking at them to give me everything and I looked to God, I was able to take the burden off them of them providing everything that I feel like I emotionally need. Seek first the kingdom, then contentment, then community, then happiness, then meaning, then joy will be yours. These things are byproducts of taking personal, spiritual responsibility and investing in the kingdom primarily. Lastly, as we step into our apprenticeship with Jesus, we embrace the pressing and the crushing, for at least the new one. Any moment of renewal, individual or corporate, actually becomes one which is filled with moments of difficulty. There are people who all of a sudden start moving at different paces. Some people have a moment of breakthrough where all of a sudden they're flooded with an experience of God. And that's happening to people at Red right now. Other people find themselves almost struggling and fighting against it as their flesh rebels and holds back. The pain of the past, like a tethering cord, stopping them from moving forward and they feel stuck. Other people, God's like, we're going to go deep into some stuff you've not processed before. You need to reconcile that in you. You need to reconcile that with that other person. Other people find themselves in a moment where God is doing a renewing work, expecting contentment, and finding themselves in this moment where actually everything that you thought you could hold on to to give you a sense of security disappears. And people are like, hang on, I just prayed that God, you would actually bring me into your presence, and everything seems to have gotten worse. There's some actually from people here who I've had that conversation with. And at those moments, it could feel like, what is going on? what are you doing, God? This is difficult. We have to understand that the New Testament talks of the language of spirit and flesh. In you is God's spirit. And God's spirit dwells in you just as it dwells in the temple. And at the same point, the effects of sin mean that parts of us in our flesh, which rely on the fact that we think we can do it. We can create this system where we create our own flourishing life apart from God. But as John's Gospel said at the beginning, that you can do nothing without God. So, what that means is this twin thing's going to be happening at you, where the parts of you which are aligning with the kingdom, when you worship, when you pray, When you reconcile, when you serve the poor, when you share your faith and invite someone to gospel, invite someone to gospel, invite someone to Alpha, when you do these things at one point, what can be happening in your spirit is God's like, yes, come on, step into it, fantastic, yes, I see that, I'm pouring my blessing on that, I'm pouring my spirit on that. So there's one point of you which is like, God's like, yes, do that. I saw what you did there. This is brilliant. Walk in my step. I see you. And at the same time, there's parts of your flesh holding on to stuff and resisting. I'm going to Alpha, but there's this part of you that in going to Alpha, you want people to see that. Or you want to push into God, but you don't want to lose this safety tethering cord that you have to a sense of security, maybe in what you do or your job or your friends. And so God at that point, it's really confusing because His wave of love is coming at you and one part is calling out and quickening your spirit in the parts where you're stepping into the kingdom. But that wave, which feels like love in one part, feels like a scalding bushfire in another. And so there's parts of you which feel like you're resisting can feel that like God is going to war with you. And He actually is. God is in war against the parts of Mark Sayers that wants to do it in Mark Sayers' strength. If I do anything leading this church that is about me relying on my own strength, God is actually going to declare war on that. Now, does he not love me? He absolutely loves me. Why is he doing that? Because he loves me. Because the fruit of me investing in my kingdom of self is actually going to destroy me and destroy the people around me. So God is equally pulling and quickening things in you whilst declaring war on your flesh. It can be confusing. But this is what contending is. This is why the scriptures, you know, we don't talk about contending as like stepping into renewal It's just like skipping into a wonderful new future. Contending is wrestling. Paul uses language of an athlete, a soldier preparing for war. This is a stretch. But the best thing you can do in the moment of contending is be part of a people who are contending. And so at this time, we're stepping into a contending posture. Why? Not because it's a nice thing to do. Not because, well, it's May or, is it May? No, it's almost September. Goodness me. (laughs) Not because that's the next sermon topic. It's because it's the only option. It's the only option. And we could play the game and chuck out warm fuzzies and hot chocolates and everyone feel good we wouldn't be advancing the kingdom one inch so God is now contending he's contending for you because he loves you and wants to see you drawn into Christ likeness because that's where history is going we need to walk with him and we need to step into that so I'm going to call the band forward and we're going to step into a moment of contending now And contending is the place in which the crushing and pressing happens. And out of contending, if you're in a moment and you can't see any fruit, let me guarantee that there is fruit. And not only there is fruit, there is wine. And sometimes we just have to rely on what Alan Crider calls one of the key elements of church. He calls it the patient ferment. That for wine to happen, you have to take the fruit, and sometimes that fruit is going to sit in a dark place, and it feels like it's decomposing and rotting. And goodness me, God, what is happening? I'm placed out here, but out of that, wine is produced. So we're now going to move into time. We're actually going to drink of that symbol that Jesus spoke of. We're going to take it into our bodies, reminding ourselves that out of the wine which spills on the cross his blood that we're to produce one we're going to take of his body in the symbol of the crackers or the bread and we're going to step into a moment where we're going to ask that hard question Jesus have I actually been consumed do I need to move now into a mode of contending because the need is big but more than that Jesus is doing this because he loves you and he wants you to become who He knows you can be. And for many of you, there's an information, uh, uh, sorry, an imagination gap, because your imagination is too limited on how much you think God can heal you. But He wants to. So Father, we just pray now as we step into a moment, may we step from consuming to contending. Father, I just want to pray for those who feel like at one point you're reaching out to them, at the other point you're just throwing all kinds of stuff at our flesh help us to understand and frame that not as some difficulty but Father you actually loving us and changing us and molding us into something new the Holy Spirit come now do your work amongst us shape us into who you want us to be help us not just to be consumers but to be contenders in your name Amen Come forward when you're ready. There will be people here to pray. Uh, Just look for someone with a lanyard. And uh, if if there's something in yourself that God is doing that you need to have prayer for, that, that is just something I encourage you to do. So let's step into that space now.